Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Well, most regional areas across Australia were already seeing an internal migration surge pre-pandemic. However, we did see a second surge over the past two years, along with rising property prices and capital growth rates, far exceeding many of the capital cities. In 2020 alone, 43,000 Australians relocated from capital cities to regional areas. Despite the national property market showing signs of slowing, led of course by Sydney and Melbourne, and many speculating the regional movement trend is over, my guest this week disagrees, and he says it will not only continue, but it's going to strengthen. He joins me in a moment, and we'll share five markets around Australia where the regional boom is set to continue, and we'll even see stronger capital growth in the coming years. Stay with us, love to get through today in the show, be back in a moment. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. KnowHow has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Arjun Pellywell is the founder and head of research at Data Driven Buyers Agency Investor Kit. As I said in the opening, he says that the regional areas set to grow even faster around the country are the smaller capitals and those uh, that are undersupplied in those regional cities. He joins me in the show. Arjun, just fascinated by this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me on. That's okay. Uh, like you, I've been a, a great believer, as many people have in the regional areas around Australia, and we we did hear recently that maybe the party was over in some of those regional areas and, and i know the ones we're going to talk about today uh you know specific you've chosen these five and thank you for doing that but i've got to say there's there's no doubt that there is a national property downturn it's looming right across the country but australia i've got to say is not one market this is where a lot of people have made a mistake in the past so what, what do you base your rosy predictions on for the for the regional markets and in particular the ones we're going to cover today yeah, so what you've said is a really good point in terms of the whole country has seen a drop down in demand levels. And this is where many investors then tend to get it wrong, or many analysts tend to get it wrong, because we solely look at one thing. So to give you an example, if we take it back to, say, 2012 to 2020, one of our most aggressive rate, rate, rate cut cycles in many years, um, saw markets not perform all the same way. And so the key here is that the difficulty with demand data, Kevin, is that when one thing moves, there's still so many different angles of demand. Uh, it could be how much money is going out in mortgages or how much money costs or how much 
job creation there is. It's very, very difficult to analyze. So we took a step back and said, we will analyze supply as closely as possible because we can all agree that demand across Australia is going through a little bit of uncertainty as people are trying to figure out how fast will interest rates rise? How much will they rise? Can I go back to a little bit more of a normal life and travel, see friends, see family? And so money is now facing different directional shifts rather than all into housing as it was. And so we need to double down on supply data because that is not confusing. That does not lie. That does not get misinterpreted. There's either a lot of houses for sale and there isn't. And one thing that was very common for all these areas is there are not a lot of houses for sale. Yeah, I guess there's a, there is a common fault here, isn't there, in that, that we tend to follow trends. And I, I reflect here back on um, the mining the mining boom. Uh, you know, we, we saw an influx of people and we're still seeing it able to work remotely. And I guess COVID sort of really spurned that on. But how do we, uh, we know what happened during that, that mining phase, you know, some of the some of the areas around Australia that were, were in absolute boom time and then they absolutely crashed. So to avoid what happened at that time, how can we avoid what's happening now by picking some of the regional areas that we'll talk about? I think the key standard with all of these areas that we're talking about today is that they either have, a they actually have a combination of A, some strong job markets um, or improving job market conditions. And none of these areas are just one type of job either. They are diverse, diversified. The second thing is that many of them also offer the aspects of being satellite cities. So they're not just one economy. And with this work from home shift that's happening, even if there was a hybrid model instated or hybrid models to follow where some people choose to go or maybe don't have to um, work in the office completely, they offer support to these functions as well. But the next thing here is that when the demand levels shift, like we talked about earlier, especially like you mentioned with people movement in that mining example, is that if people leave or stay in an area, this isn't really influencing many of these pockets because right now it's the supply levels that are extremely tight, not just this wave of demand that is causing these price movements ahead that we're predicting. Mm. I know, and we do a number of reports every week and we look at the, the major capital cities. And I'm, I'm talking here about auctions, of course. And, and we always base it on um, stats like, you know, properties on the market, days on market, discount levels and so on. Not so much with auctions, discount levels, but it is one of the, one of the factors. Are these stats ones that you did look at in these regional areas? I mean, are they as important in regional areas as they are in the cap city areas? So that's a, it's a really good point around the importance of data. Uh, they totally are. And I, I give credit to one of my, um, I guess, key learnings in my own journey is I came from across the ditch in, from New Zealand over to Australia 12 years ago. Uh, one thing we can agree is that the cities you call small are the cities I say are large. <laughs> and uh, from this aspect, we've seen back in New Zealand many house prices rising irrespective of their large or smaller sort of populations. We actually don't even call them regional or capital cities. It's somewhat, somewhat of an Australian thing that I learned about coming here. 
So I think when we look at it that way, we actually treat the trends the same, whether it's a city of 50,000 or a city of 100,000 or 2 million, because the concept of relativity comes in. The job will support what's there. The lifestyle will support the people there. And that's what we look at, the trends of days on market, vendor discounting, sales volumes, listings, building approvals. It's all bringing a concept of relativity to their size. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned New Zealand because it is a very interesting case because um, there was a time and I worked in New Zealand for about three years. Uh, there was a time when, and it, it may still be the case and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but anything south of the Bombay Hills really wasn't in the market. You know, like it's the Bombay Hills, for those who don't know New Zealand, is just um, the southern part of Auckland. So in other words, we're saying anything out of Auckland really doesn't get much growth. But gee, hasn't that changed in the last couple of years? Yeah, pre-pandemic uh, and during the pandemic, there were shifts. And one of the most common themes that was uh, coming up in New Zealand was the massive levels of undersupply. Um, new home building not keeping up in many areas and the tenure of people staying in certain areas for some time. Uh, these sorts of conditions that came to today weren't just as a result of the pandemic. Uh, New Zealand was one of the market leaders when it came to capital growth, even pre-COVID pandemic, um, especially with how undersupplied it was. Mm. Okay, well, it's time to really uh, get down to business, I guess, Arjun. We're going to have a look at the five markets you've chosen around Australia. Stay with us. We'll take a short break and we'll come back and we'll have a look at the, the very first of those. So you're with Realty Talk and we'll be back in just a minute. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Welcome back to the show. My guest is Arjun Paliwell, who is the founder and head of research at Buyers Agency Investikit. Uh, Arjun, the first property or first area that we're going to move to is Tamworth in New South Wales, located 405 k's. Uh, west of Sydney, uh, 570 kilometres uh, south of Brisbane. Uh, Tamworth is uh, perhaps best known for country music, uh, country music capital, home of the big golden guitar and mecca uh, to fans of the annual Tamworth Country Music Festival. W what is it that makes Tamworth stand out for you, Arjun? Yeah, so whilst uh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, country music, I, have, I am a huge fan of real estate trends and Tamworth is definitely showing uh, the first key parts of real estate analysis. Um, sales volumes, the, the demand of people buying in Tamworth are at 30% higher than previous year levels. And days on market, the speed to sell has fallen 54% when compared to the same time last year. So this is the first angle of demand. Now, we have also agreed that demand has fallen off, so we can't just rely on these last year or lagged data trends that are showing. We also need to consider the supply conditions. And this is where things get really interesting for Tamworth. Supply conditions are over 45% lower than this time two years ago. And this means the level of listings are essentially nowhere to be found. 
Now, the reasons for that from our on the ground, boots on the ground analysis are varying. Some sales agents saying, hey, Tamworth is now the place to be in many people's eye, especially post pandemic, people feel comfortable being here, space, lifestyle, affordability, and they're just not seeing the same levels of movement of people over the last couple of years. For others, uh, it's confidence in the region and it's investing prospects, holding stock and just continuing to rent it as rents have risen much faster than they have ever before in the last two years. Um, but these reasons are just what opinions are. And when we look at market data like supply, we need to step away from the opinions and just look at the fact. And the fact that is, is half the level of listings for sale in comparison to pre-pandemic. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me about the Tamworth market is, um, and, and I guess it's not unique just to Tamworth, they've done it in a lot of the regional areas, they've gone into uh, developing a lot of renewable energy uh, projects, which of course you're able to do much better in these areas. And also you combine that with the, the University of New England, the campus there. Uh, are these a couple of factors you think that have triggered this type of growth? They play a part of it in the industry's job creation and in the industry's rental market strength as people move and typically rent in their first few years of movement or, or job changes coming into the mix. However, the thing with renewable energy, it is most definitely a booming part of Tamworth's economy. Just to name a few projects, we've got um, the Hills of Goldwyn Farm with an 826 million estimated value in DA stage. We've got Middlebrook Solar Farm in sketch plans at 600 million. We've got the dam wall raising at 484 million. The Thunderbolt Energy Hub Solar Farm, 440 millions. These are all in various stages of approval in just some of the projects. But the key thing with renewable energy is the shelf life of its job market can be very different because you've got this heavy construction phase. And then post construction, the jobs don't tend to be at the same volume at all. Yeah. Um, but the good news is Tamworth is not just a renewable energy town. It has prospects of the um, things that you mentioned of entertainment. It's got things around the education precincts, as well as its um, renewable energy space that we talked about. I think the main thing to also call out with Tamworth is that prior this recent surge in prices, it did not have this long-term average outperformance for the 10-year trends. Our 10-year trends track Tamworth at just around that 4 to 5% average, which means it's in line with long-term trends and it hasn't had this huge outperformance that, su that suggests it's unaffordable. And when we looked at the level of affordability, we in the past collaborated with um, some research released by the University of SA. Uh, Professor Leishman over there used methodologies around reviewing mortgage affordability rather than the statistic of income to price ratios that everyone falls in love with and says how structurally faulted Australia's housing is, we looked at mortgages and its repayments for households. And Tamworth house prices would have to rise at 41% for the mortgage repayments to be 30% of a dual income household at 4.5 interest rates, not three, not three and a half, at 4.5 consumer interest rates, which is kind of where they are now for many investors, but owner occupiers are still having rates start with a three who represent seven out of 10 housing deals. So mm -hmm. if we do see interest rates rise another percent, it's still affordable for Tamworth locals. Uh, we've we've looked at um, stock availability. What, what are current buying conditions like? Would you class that as a seller's market or a buyer's market? 
And and what are your tips for buyers? What should yeah, they be so looking Tamworth, for? Tamworth is still a seller's market when you consider the level of stock in play. But I think the beauty of the window we see today in Australia is historically speaking, the sentiment reduction creates buying windows, which means whilst there's no supply to be found, buyers are a little bit frozen across the country of whether they should buy or not. So my tip for buyers is that they should consider acting in these moments, especially as sentiment has weighed down many people from making that offer. So I do think that it's a great time for buyers who want to take advantage of strong conditions because once the sellers realize or once other buyers realize that sentiment clouds don't hang over the skies forever, then we look at the actual fundamentals of Tamworth, things would improve. So what sort of stock should we be looking at in Tamworth? Just to round this one out, then we'll move on to our next area. Freestanding houses. Locals do love their space over there. So I wouldn't be trying to you know, consider capital city land, land sizes as great land sizes over there. It, that six to 800 square metres is the norm. Hmm. Okay, well, that's uh, Tamworth wrapped. Uh, let, let's go to Queensland now. I don't want to go to a town uh, where, according to the internet, the turtles call it home. Uh, this is where the beach meets the reef, and I'm talking about Bundaberg, of course, a wonderful spot. It's actually the 10th largest city in the state, and it's about 360 k's uh, north of Brisbane. Uh, regional area has a population of about 71,000. So what's the big turn on here for Bundaberg? Well, on, on the fun facts of Bundaberg, uh, we all know Bundaberg for Bundaberg rum. Yeah, indeed. And uh, a very, very uh, internationally recognised name and uh, one my father tends to, tends to like as well. So that's always good news when I, I can uh, impress him with the Bundaberg rum bottle. Um, but sugar cane, sweet potato, macadamia nuts, passion fruit. Uh, Australia, you know, produces a lot of that. And Bundaberg is one of Australia's largest producers of these different things. The main call out for Bundaberg here, Kevin, is that its attractive lifestyle is truly being recognized as a result of the pandemic. Uh, many, many local sales agents have been reporting the waves of people moving from areas like Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, reselling homes there that are getting them windfalls of profits and then taking it to Bundaberg and being able to buy properties with no loans on them right by the beach, right near amenities. So these sorts of things are just one component, but again, not the only one. The main thing we're noticing about Bundaberg is alongside its affordability is how tight supply conditions are. I guess the main thing to note here is that we also see listings, depending on which suburbs in Bundaberg, ranging from 30 to 65% below pre-pandemic levels. But most importantly, I think renters have had enough of the Bundaberg rental market because its rental market has been surging substantially. And there are many reports of renters really just trying to get onto that buying market causing a shift in some of the buying demand, which is increasing it. So this is very different to say the Tamworth or some other markets, because the economy in Bundaberg, in my opinion, has improved, but it's nowhere near the strength of some of the other markets on this list. So I do offer that ins insight there to say that is maybe one of the weaker points of Bundaberg, that if it can kind of take its economic improvement to the next level, then alongside all this lifestyle and affordability factors, there'll be a market to, to really watch. 
Does the does your study of Bundaberg did it extend out to Bagara, which is sort of um, you know towards the coast, um, and was always seen as a, a lovely holiday destination for people who live in Bundaberg to have a second property? Has that extended? Has that has that area grown between Bundaberg and Bagara? Yeah, Bagara is actually one of Bundaberg's, if not the top performing suburb over the last 12 months. Yep. It was very common for people to see house price growth of 34% or more mm. in the suburb of Bagara. To give you some context, if someone this time last year had purchased a four-bedroom, two-bathroom modern home in Bagara for low to mid-fives, they could possibly look to sell that with a seven in front today. Wow. So that just gives you you some context of the boom that's taking place. And to add to your point of the beauty of Bagara, even something starting with a seven front seven in front today would still be deemed affordable in comparison to many markets that offer you restaurants, bars, and beachside amenities, as well as the beautiful coastline of Bagara. Yeah, it's been a few years since I've been to Bagara, but I, I seem to remember it as a sleepy little coastal town, but no doubt it's grown enormously, as, as they would a lot of these little these small towns. Wouldn't you love to be able to turn the clock back about 20 years and, and know what we know now? I suppose, I suppose everyone says the same thing, Arjun. Well, many people say uh, Bagara is the, the Sunshine Coast 20 years ago yeah. when it wasn't as jam-packed but still offers its beauty and a lifestyle that um, has all the amenities around. Yeah, let's get back to Bundaberg. What's the median price in Bundaberg? And forgetting Bagara for a moment if it's at the top end there, but what can you buy in Bundaberg now that's good value? Yeah, Bundaberg can see a sweet spot of that median price and suburb to suburb, you know, depending from that sort of 380k up till about 500k, uh, depending on which one of the suburbs on the east or the west side you're on. Um, suburbs such as Avoca, Svensson Heights, uh, Kepnock, Kalki, uh, these come to people's mind when you think of that balance between demographic, tight real estate markets, and also affordability. But yes, 380 to that 500k market is is actually a still a very available price point in Bundaberg. Oh, that's that's really affordable, isn't it? You, you painted that picture about people who are moving from places like the Sunshine Coast and you know going to Bundaberg. You can end up with a really lovely property and a still a nice nest egg in a great area. And and I think the main thing that you pointed out from the nest egg piece there is that you know when when you look at the affordability. Uh, the rents are actually very well placed too. Uh, one of the biggest disadvantages for the high growth that's occurred in Australia has been the gap many markets have seen from their rent prices and their house prices. To give you some context, Ballarat and Bendigo, one of the best performers in recent years, uh, their rental growth has been great, but the house price growth has outpaced it so much that for investors, it becomes hard to look at today's buy-in prices versus the rents. Mm -hmm. Bundaberg's been a different story, where something that you purchase for 350 to 400 could rent for between four and 500. Uh, this is a special story because it does offer investors a wealth protection mechanism as the interest rates are rising. Mm -hmm. Stay with us, more to come uh, after the break, a very short break, we're gonna stay in Queensland. We're gonna visit a city it's not far out of Brisbane. In fact, I grew up in this area um, and it has been known for many, many years as the bridesmaid. I mean, I've been one of the people saying, when will this town ever boom? And uh, yeah, it's been like that for quite a few years. But maybe this is time. Maybe this is time for it to shine and to be the bride. We're going to find out in just a moment. Uh, my guest is Arjun Halliwell. Back in a minute. 
Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. Know How has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Okay, welcome back to the show. Arjun Paliwell is my guest. And um, Arjun, it's time for me to talk about the area that I grew up in. Um, but before I do that, Arjun, of course, is the founder and head of research of Data Driven Buyers Agency Investor Kit. And we're having a look at Arjun's top regional investor markets around Australia, this time in Queensland and a city that's known for its gardens and the annual Carnival of Flowers. Of course, I'm talking about Toowoomba. How long since you've been into Toowoomba, Arjun? Uh, Toowoomba's been a great market. And I guess for investors, we've been looking at that market for just over two years now. Yeah. Um, however, for me personally, I was there as recent as just this month. So um, it was just a, it's just a beautiful city, as you call it, the garden city uh, and, and the views from, you know, the picnic point is one place and the, the mountains that you get to see uh, just breathtaking. Yeah, I grew up in Mount Lofty, you know, one of the uh, one of the areas when, when we settled there, when dad built the house there, there was nothing. It was just all paddocks. And, you know, I watched it grow and spread out. And that, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about is I think one of the things that's held Toowoomba back for many, many years is land supply because there's a big landlock right around Toowoomba. Uh, Toowoomba, for those who don't know, is a, uh, was a distinct, uh, uh, sorry, an extinct volcano. Uh, and, and it was pretty much landlocked if you look around the area of Toowoomba. But that seems to have opened up a lot now. So land supply is a lot better than now, Arjun? Yeah, the land supply that opened up was actually one of the core things holding Toowoomba back in yeah. the, the last 10 years of capital growth. Uh, alongside that, when the land supply is there, that's just not the only part because, you know, we can see some of the most booming cities of, of Australia where you, Bendigo, Ballarat have a lot of ample land around it too. But it was the fact that the building was so affordable mm. and the access to these new homes was overall very affordable from land, land prices too. And uh, now that we turn into this environment where building is no longer affordable, building is taking a longer time and also a riskier prop proposition for many, it has meant that the demand has shifted a lot and substantially to established dwellings. And established dwelling supply is very, very short with less than uh, more than 30% below pre-pandemic level of listings in Toowoomba today. Yeah, because one of the things holding it back is if you're building new stock, which you have to in a lot of these areas, uh, supply is really, really hard. Not so much the trades, but more getting, you know, the, the, the raw materials to build these properties. It, it's, it's holding a lot back. So it's a bit of a shame in a way that there's now more land supply in Toowoomba, but there's probably a hold on building. That's right. And uh, that, that as a result is a theme happening all over Australia, um, which will keep that residential established versus residential new pricing gaps quite large, and it attracts more to established housing as a result. 
Yeah, the the Toowoomba market also uh, has got a reputation as being like a retirement, a great retirement area. People moving off the land, coming in to build, um, you know, quite substantial and quite nice homes in the Toowoomba area. Has the age demographic changed a little bit? Is it becoming a lot younger now? Well, unless everyone in their retirement age is uh, putting getting the tools back in and wanting to get back on the tools, then, um, you know, I think there has been a lot of change in Toowoomba because job advertisements have been flying up, uh, unemployment has been coming down, and the pipeline of projects is as large as it's ever been. Uh, when we look at Toowoomba's pipeline of projects, we look at the new hospital, its renewable energy boom, and also some of its alternate industries. When we consider the WellCamp cannabis production facility, and other things to name a few are some of the major rail links, freight links. Um, these are all things coming together. As recent as last couple of months, uh, the mayor has also been talking about, you know, how can we bring that Toowoomba-Brisbane link closer through uh, transport lines? Um, this is something that the region's been screaming for. Whilst it's not a very long drive from Brisbane to Toowoomba or the far west of Brisbane to Toowoomba, uh, public transport has never been easy or even possible, really, uh, to get in and out. So I think there's already great job improvements, new new faces, fresh faces coming in. Uh, but the main thing is there still remains so much potential with what's in the pipeline, as well as what could be done to better connect the two cities. You, you mentioned uh, Picnic Point uh, right at the start of our discussion about Toowoomba, and that was almost like a, a gateway. Um, anything past Picnic Point you know, you'd have to go down the range and that held back development quite a lot. But we go down the range now, you look at Hellerton and places like that. There's a huge landmass between Toowoomba or the bottom of the range and Brisbane that's going to open up in the years to come. And I can see at some stage in the future when the two are probably going to be very well connected. Yeah, that connection is definitely something that you can imagine as you view it out. It's kind of like where people now in Sydney uh, who move out to the Blue Mountains don't really feel like they're moving far out of Sydney. Mm. Uh, they can, you know, stone's throw come down to the Penrith region, which is so established with large corporate centres, uh, large shopping precincts, private hospitals and things like that. So as a result, I do see the many, many more decades ahead being prosperous for this strong economic region. And also not a small city, it's a very large city. Yeah, it's interesting you make that comparison between um, Sydney and the Blue Mountains, particularly around Penrith. The thing that really opened up the Blue Mountains was the rail link, and that's a, that's a great rail journey between Sydney and the Blue Mountains. One wonders how long it's going to take for us to open up that rail link, you know, which is there now, but needs to be developed between Brisbane and Toowoomba. That, that will open up a lot of territory. Definitely, my friend. And in the interim, the beauty of Toowoomba is that it already holds an extremely established job market. So it's not waiting for that connection to as such keep it ticking. It will do that without it. But all these extra things will be great positives for the area. Excellent. Wonderful look at Toowoomba there. So we'll stay, uh, we'll, we'll stay with Arjun uh, because I want to move from Queensland now to South Australia and an area that's, that's very rich in culture and rich in soil quality as well. Uh, so much so that it's the country's most famous wine region. And like me, you've probably tried some wine from the Barossa Valley. What about you, Arjun? Are you a, you a wine drinker or are you like your father? Do you like Bundaberg rum? 
Well, now that I'm looking at this list, I don't know if it was driven by housing markets or if it was driven by a great drinking culture. So uh, <laughs> uh, we've got wine in Barossa, which actually is one of my favorite, if not my favorite wines. And um, this, this region of Barossa Valley is very, very different to some of the other wine regions in Australia. Some of the wine regions in Australia, if we mention Orange as an example, have been the country's fastest growing regions. Mm. And they've seen their local economies boom, uh, unemployment rates starting with a two, which is <laughs> crazy in some regions where the wine, wines are just flowing like no tomorrow. Um, the main thing, though, is that their lifestyle in many of these wine regions, Orange mentioned included, has seen people's desirability to you know, access housing for rent and purchasing increase substantially, even pre-pandemic. Uh, hence why Orange was one of the top markets for performance in Australia. And for, uh, in a different note, though, Barossa Valley offers far more affordability than the wine city of Orange, as an example. Uh, it's not uncommon to see house prices with a four, five, and six in front. And I'm not talking something run down that needs needs a lot of work. I'm talking fairly modern, decent spaces, family homes, and in great commute to the beautiful wines. Uh, I think what's a standout for Abrosa Valley, though, has been that its proximity has improved over recent years to Adelaide. Uh, with some of the new improvements to the roadways, we can see the region from Barossa to Adelaide even cut down below the one hour you know, time frame. Um, alongside that, housing supply remains extremely low. And now it begins its journey to not only look at its tourism and its improvement in its economy from wine, but actually become a global tourism leader as six-star hotels are in the works for the region of Barossa. So uh, it won't be long until people not just go to Adelaide and say, hey, we might take a Barossa day trip. People might park themselves in Barossa and enjoy its uh, region and city for, for multiple days on end. Well, I've done that. You know, I've actually been to Barossa and we stayed there for four or five days. It was delightful. And that now I'm going back some, you know, probably even almost a decade and uh, went there with some, some very good friends of ours and we spent delightful time. So, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that that Barossa area probably would have suffered a little bit during COVID if it's, you know, because of tourism. Um, but it, it, it must be good now to see it turning around. Well, yes, definitely the tourism uh, and the travel around did impact many local businesses. However, I think one thing that's very much underestimated in the power of Barossa Valley is how many people are living in Barossa for its shelter with ownership versus renting. As you know, when jobs are impacted, many renters tend to move around to areas where the job prospects are better. Well, with the Barossa tenure for renters um, there's about a 20% renter rate, which is substantially lower than the national mm. average. Yeah. Uh, Barossa Valley's outright ownership is also above a third. So when you've got such a high level of prosperity and outright ownership, a high level of owner occupiers, for many, it wasn't just a matter of its impacted economy and maybe reconsideration of where you live or move. But for many, it was actually, this is my shelter. This is my, my place of residence. This is where I live and own. And the beauty of having Adelaide at your doorstep as well is that it wasn't this completely isolated community suffering from what's happened. Uh, they still had the options of having the two cities there. So I think there was that long-term protection from these more fundamental factors. But the main thing for Barossa that is screaming out at, at the moment is the affordability and also the rental distress. Mm. By rental distress, I do mean to say that the rental crisis is probably the worst in Barossa 
in comparison to any other location across Australia. Uh, applications are coming in in truckloads. Uh, people are missing out more than 10 times, 15 times from stories that we hear. And rents are rising rapidly. We've seen cases where a six months ago, a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home in Nuriutpa could rent at maybe 400 to 450. Uh, these are now renting in the 500s, and that too being picked up in the first open home. Uh, many people are also paying rent six months in advance, three months in advance, just to show themselves as a way to you know, stand out of the pack. This is going to create a further level of pressure, both on renters existing who don't want to be put into this condition, becoming on the buy side, from investors looking for a return that's very easy to find a tenant and growing. And lastly, um, it does mean that the pressure will remain consistent. So what are you hearing from agents on the ground in Barossa Valley in terms of, you know, what are they doing about investor stock? Um, you know, with, with such an yeah. established owner-occupier market, uh, investor stock can be hard to come by. Is the, is the market catering to that, do you think? I don't think there's there's been enough investor activity in the Barossa Valley to really see that number move where it needs to move. This is changing as Adelaide has seen their more middle suburban ring experience such price growth that one can now look at the outer rings of Adelaide or look at parts of the Barossa and see similar price points. Now, if you're seeing similar price points, but in one angle, you also get the huge upside of lifestyle and you know all that comes with it, it's actually still seeing a lot of owner occupiers still move out and enjoy that, which isn't giving a lot of investors that chance to get in because they're being outbid or, or you know, competition is higher on that owner occupier side than in the investors. Okay, just to wrap up, Barossa, uh, where should we look in the Barossa Valley? Because it's a big area, and what stock should we be looking at specifically? Well, established houses in either the two main cities of Nuriutpa or Tananda. And for any locals, if I'm mispronouncing any of these, my sincere apologies. I do like your wine, though, so I hope I'm forgiven. And uh, these are the two main regions, houses that are uh, very popular at this stage. Okay, well, uh, stay with us to round out Argent's top five. We're going to visit twin towns that are uniquely situated, so they actually span two states. Back in a moment to have a look at Albury, Wodonga and the area. Uh, you're with Realty Talk. My guest is uh, Arjun Paliwal, and we'll be back in just a moment. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation free quote. Well, the twin towns of Albury and Wodonga are separated geographically by the Murray River and politically by two state borders, um, or by one state border, actually, between there's only two states, but one state border. Uh, Albury on the north of the river is part of New South Wales, while Wodonga on the south bank is in Victoria. It's also home to Lake Hume, which I didn't realise, Argent, is um, six times larger than Sydney Harbour. That's huge. That is massive. And uh, I actually didn't know that either with how large that was. I think the map is very deceiving with how it, you know, twirls and twists and turns. Uh, but when you when you add that all up, I guess you're right. 
Yeah, well, that's what the research tells me. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just relying on the research. So what, what makes the twin towns of Albury and Wodonga stand out for you, Arjun? Why have you chosen them? Yes, so the the, the beautiful uh, region of Albury and Wodonga is just constantly going through some change. Um, the Melbourne folks that I speak to uh, often talk about, you know, how good their coffee is, but uh, I think they're, they're challenged with Albury and Wodonga coffee because it's as, as good as it gets. Um, with this region, the main pros- prosperity pieces are um, the big inland rail that is going to cause uh, Albury-Wodonga to be such an important precinct amongst this uh, shift in how business is done. Uh, but the core things here is that Albury-Wodonga has remained very resilient during the pandemic with its job market. Um, as you know, with the Woolies Distribution Center uh, and many of its other manufacturing core points, instead of seeing a job reduction, they actually saw a job boom. Um, Things like that where the world and Australia had its supply issues and everyone that was, uh, you know, needing things during that time saw regions like Albury and Wodonga continue its growth rather than its fall off. Uh, Even after such a big price boom though, Albury Wodonga still remains affordable. It's not uncommon to see, you know, five to 600K four bed, two bath within 25 year old homes uh, go for sale and actually even rent in the high fours or low fives as well. So from an investor standpoint, an affordability standpoint, they're well-placed. It's local job advertisements. It's improving unemployment rate. It's pipeline of infrastructure that we talked about. These things are all giving it a well-rounded region. But I guess the main things to look at when you look at Albury Wodonga is that it has done a lot of growth already. So the, the level of surge they may, that may exist here may be a little bit less in relative to some of the other areas we've mentioned, but we still expect it to be positive trending over the years ahead as we get through this sort of sentiment shift we're seeing. Yeah, tourism's been a, a big thing for that Albury-Wodonga area as well, particularly beautiful cruises along the Murray River. You know, we see, I, I've not done that um, personally, but um, I, I believe it would be quite spectacular. So what's, what's the, uh, what are the real estate conditions like for buyers and sellers right now in that market? I think similarly to many parts of Australia, we we are seeing that sentiment shift cause a little bit of a drop off in some sales volumes, as well as just seeing a little bit of longer times for, for selling. Uh, but this is just in the moment. What we are still seeing is Albury Wodonga remain extremely undersupplied. Rental vacancies remain well below 0.5% and rents rising at rapid paces too. So uh, with vendor discounting still remaining quite low and overall inventory levels quite low, um, we expect that these temporary clouds of sentiment to be you know, pretty, pretty uh, short in their tenure before prices start picking up again. Very good. Well, it's been a, a wonderful experience to spend some time with you. Um, I, I really appreciate it, Arjun. You've, you've done a lot of work on, on putting this together. Um, just just in summary now, the, the areas uh, Tamworth, Toowoomba, Bundaberg, Barossa Valley uh, and Albury, Wodonga were the areas that we've chosen. Just give me an overview on some of the things, maybe the three key points that you've used to draw data to select these. What have been the major points you've looked at that we can learn from, Arjun? The major points to give away are inventory levels. So this is our review of listings versus sales volumes and how, they, how low they sit in comparison to years prior. That's the first point. The second point is the 
extraordinary strength in their rental markets. Rental demand in many Oxford studies of the past is the most real way to measure real demand uh, because housing demand in the price of housing when you're buying property, there's always an element of speculation, no matter if it's shelter or no matter if it's investing, because you go in with the idea that one day the house you pay for will hopefully be worth more. Uh, whereas for rental demand, there is zero speculation. I've never seen someone who's gone to an open and said, can't wait to pay more for this rental property. <laughs> <laughs> so that's point number two, no speculation and it's people demand. Point number three is affordability. Uh, this is the most common theme when you see sentiment shifts. And I'm not talking affordability by price. Affordability should be a holistic measure of price, repayments, income, locality, because incomes differ across Australia. These locations still remain affordable. Very good. Arjun, thank you very much. Arjun Haliwal's been my uh, Paliwal's been my guest, uh, the founder. My apologies for that, Arjun. Uh, founder and uh, head of research at Investikit and the website investorkit.com.au very easy to find um mate thank you very much for your time i do appreciate it all the work that you put into it um arjun thank you very much and we look forward to having you back on the show again real soon thank you my friend see you soon and uh bushy martin will be back again next week took a bit of a break this week uh, bushy of course and his podcast get invested you can catch him there anytime as well I'm Kevin Turner. Thanks for being with us. And thanks once again to Arjun as being our guest on this week's show. I'll see you again soon. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 